our Father and our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Last week, we sat down with the multitude in Luke's Gospel and listened to the first half of Christ's Sermon on the Mount. It wasn't easy listening. If you are poor or starving or crying or hated, God is blessing you. That is what Jesus preached. And we talked about it. We unraveled the startling but beautiful truth of how God turns the worst of what the sinful world piles on your plate into a stage where God displays his love and his mercy and his power in your life. Well, that was last week. Today, as we focus on the second half of Christ's sermon, I can't, can't help wonder why Jesus didn't quit while he was ahead. Surely, Lord, we say to ourselves, surely the tail end of your homily will be easier to swallow than what came first. But that's not happening. Listen to what Jesus tickles your ears with this morning. Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. If someone slaps your face, turn the other cheek. And all God's people say, say what? Go ahead. Say that with me. Ready? Say what? That's exactly what all those folks in our text sitting on the side of that Jewish hill were thinking too. Come on, Jesus you can't really be serious. You know, I watched a video this past week of two people in a Tennessee Baptist church who robbed a 78-year-old woman after asking her to pray with them. I saw another video of a defenseless high school hockey player on the ice attacked so viciously that it made me sick. And I wonder how Ukrainians feel about a certain Russian dictator this morning. And yes, he is a dictator. Does Jesus really expect that elderly lady to keep on praying for those thieves and the hockey player to turn the other cheek inside his face mask? Does Jesus really expect Ukrainians to love their enemy? And the answer is yes, it is. Jesus does expect that. He absolutely expects his followers to exhibit a loving and forgiving spirit, no matter how difficult that is, no matter how unreasonable. In fact, this expectation is what sets the Christian faith apart from all other religious systems, philosophical constructs, and even common sense. Hard to swallow. Yes, it is. But at the end of the day, this loving and forgiving spirit is a ginormous part of the heart and soul of Christianity. So, how do you even begin attempting something that sounds so difficult? Is it really possible to be loving and forgiving toward the most unlovable and unforgivable people in your life? Yes, it is. 
It's very much possible. But if you are to be successful, you must first know these three things. First thing is this. A loving and forgiving spirit does not come from you. It can't. It's not part of your nature. David says in Psalm 51, verse 5, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. You were born with the virus, weren't you? Original sin, the old Adam, call it what you want uh, to call it. You have the disease, so do I. And the symptoms sound like this. Don't get mad, get even. An eye for an eye. Dog eat dog, win at all costs, love yourself, it's all about you. Don't believe me? Well, then throw a bunch of two-year-olds in a room with only one toy truck and only one Barbie and watch all heck break out. Same thing happens when 50 sets of parents watch their kids try out for 12 spots on a traveling team. And I've been on both sides of that one, and it's never very pretty. You've got the disease. So do I. And it doesn't produce anything loving or forgiving at all. Would you like to know where a loving and forgiving spirit comes from? A loving and forgiving spirit comes only after you experience what it's like to be loved and forgiven yourself. And that means that a loving and forgiving spirit comes from outside of you. It's given to you. It's bestowed upon you. It's imputed. It is a gift from someone else to you. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you. Because the Holy Spirit is the giver and you are the give-e. He gave you a loving and forgiving spirit at your baptism when he connected you to Jesus Christ. And who is Jesus Christ? Oh, he's only the one who wrote the book on love and forgiveness, didn't he? And Jesus said, not seven times, when your brother sins against you, you must forgive him 490 times. And Jesus said, he who has no sin among you cast the first stone against this woman. And then Jesus said to her, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. And Jesus cried from the cross, what? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Your baptism gave you a faith and grace relationship uh, with Jesus. That's where your loving and forgiving spirit comes from. didn't come from you. It came only after you experienced love, after you experienced what it's like to be forgiven uh, by God. It came from outside of you. Point number two sounds like this. A loving and forgiving spirit produces more actions than words because talk is cheap, isn't it? You can't just tell people that you love them. You can't just tell people uh, that you forgive them. It's kind of like you know walking past a homeless man on the street in Duluth in February and saying, wow, I'll bet you you could really use uh, a place to sleep tonight 
have a good day. Uh Uh-uh. Love and forgiveness, you have to show those things. Former Boston Red Sox Hall of Fame third baseman Wade Boggs, he hated Yankee Stadium, but not because of the Yankees themselves, but because of a fan. That's right, one fan. And this guy had a box seat right by third base, and he would torment Boggs every game by shouting obscenities and insults. Hard to imagine one fan getting under the skin of a professional like that, but this guy had the recipe. And one game as Boggs was warming up, the fan began his vulgarity routine, and Boggs had had enough. He walked over to the man and said, Hey, fella, are you the guy who's always yelling at me? The man said, Yeah, what are you going to do about it? Well, Wade took a new baseball out of his pocket, autographed it, and tossed it to the man, and then walked back out onto the field. That man never yelled at Wade Boggs again. Instead, at Yankee Stadium, he became one of Wade's biggest fans. You have to show them, don't you? Take a close look at our text today, and you will find that it's filled with action words. I mean, this is what Jesus says. He says, do good, bless them, pray for them, turn the other cheek, give to those who beg. If someone takes your coat, give them your shirt too. So as a Christian, you just can't talk the talk. You have to do some walking, don't you? A loving and forgiving Christ-like spirit produces more actions than words. Last point this morning is this. A loving and forgiving spirit can change the world. It's happened before. I mean, Jesus Christ and his handful of followers were worthy of barely a footnote in the early histories compiled by the Roman Empire which, by the way, numbered between 60 and 75 million uh, citizens, millions of people, by the second century. And, and remember, this was an empire that was famous for slavery. One out of every four in the empire were slaves. Poverty, brutal violence, warfare, idol worship, hedonism, and sexual confusion rivaled only by our own society today. And yet... Yet by 303 A.D., the Roman Empire was filled with so many Christ followers that Emperor Constantine legalized Christianity across the land. How did that happen? How did Christianity attract so many millions of souls in less than three centuries? Well, it was accomplished by people of God putting their faith into loving and forgiving actions. This is absolutely true. It was the Christians who fed Rome's poor and tended to the sick, both slave and free. It was the Christians who took care of the widows. It was the Christians who took care of the orphans. It was the Christians who freely shared their possessions with anyone who was in need. No emperor and no senate had ever done that before. And when Rome sentenced them to death, 
those same Christians would forgive their persecutors and sing hymns as they were marched to the arena praising Christ for the privilege of dying for his name. It was a lifestyle produced by a Christ-like loving and forgiving spirit, and it changed an empire. Our culture today so resembles that old Roman empire that it's scary. The mission of God's people hasn't changed. Take Jesus Christ to those who don't know him yet. And the tactics, they haven't changed either. Proclaim the love and forgiveness of Jesus using both words and actions. And it begins with you. It begins with you in the pew. Not preachers necessarily. Not with evangelists. Not with fancy uh, theologians either. It begins with you. Now in 2018, Barna conducted a poll that was all about Christians and forgiveness. And the poll revealed this statistic. 27%, a little more than one out of every four Christians, has someone in their life whom they are refusing to forgive. So this describes a quarter of you and me who are in God's house today or watching the service online. And I'll admit I'm part of that unforgiving 25%. I do have someone in my life whom I have not forgiven and need to. And if you are in that same boat, I want you to picture that person in your mind right now. Because that unforgiven person is the place where you and I will start to change the world. I believe that if we are to reclaim our own culture and our own nation for Jesus Christ, it does mean talking the talk and walking the walk of the Christians who have come before us. Using a Christ-like, loving, and forgiving spirit to win back one soul at a time. A loving and forgiving spirit that the Holy Spirit gave you at your baptism. When you first tasted Christ's love, and pardon yourself. A spirit that produces more actions than words. And a spirit that will change the world. It's happened before. Amen. And the peace in Christ that passes all understanding. Keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.